What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Active Texan Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Watts, your host. Today, we have a special guest with us, Allie Smith. Allie, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, me and Allie just got connected uh, about a week ago, and I heard some of the things she's done, and I said she should be on the Active Texan Podcast. So just give you a little background. Uh, she currently lives in Tucson, Arizona. She's born and raised in Houston, Texas, lived there for 18 years, and she was a multi-sport athlete at Western Colorado Uni University, correct, in Gunnison? Yes, that's correct. Uh, where you played volleyball and ran track. Eventually, you had to retire because of an ankle injury mm -hmm. your sophomore year, which okay. maybe we'll get into that a little bit, and it apparently didn't slow you down. So um, you're an avid skier still, or is this something in the past? Oh, no, I'm still an avid skier. <laughs> okay. Avid skier, snow skier, right? Yes, that's correct. And uh, mountain climber and same volleyball player from what yes. I hear. That's correct. <laughs> um, so one of Allie's biggest accomplishments, and I mean, from my perspective, is that she's climbed all, officially all 67, 14,000 foot sum summits in the lower 48 states. Um, she just told me there's maybe 74, according to some of the mountaineers, right? Um, but 67 officially, right? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you started when you were eight years old, you climbed Mount Sherman. That was the first one that you climbed. And then from, it was, it's, it looks like it was between 2013 and 17, you started climbing all of them. And uh, you can tell, fill on some of the details here, but you climbed all, all the 14,000 or the 14ers in the lower 48 states. And so, you know, we'll, we'll get into this and talk about why she's doing this, uh, what motivated you to do it and what it's like. And uh, so, yeah, without any further introduction, thanks for coming on the po podcast. I'm super excited to have you on here. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, it sounds great. Great to be here. Can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. So let's, let's first start out, you know, you grew up in Houston. Uh, what was that like? Were you, were you running around outside all the time playing sports or are you sitting inside playing video games? Yeah, I was born and raised in Houston. Um, I was playing sports from a very young age. Um, both my parents are extremely active. They put me in every sport known to mankind. I had a knack for volleyball. Volleyball was the big one that uh, really caught my attention. And in middle school, I actually started dabbling in track and realized that I was actually decent at that. To be completely honest, every other sport, so soccer, basketball, gymnastics, I was terrible at. Um, most people usually say you just like have a natural athletic ability and that's actually not me at all. There's very specific things that I'm good at and then everything else I'm actually really bad at. <laughs> so. At least that made it easy for you to kind of decide what you wanted to pursue. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I was always really passionate about track and volleyball. Um, and it, you know, it, that's all I did, quite frankly, I went to school and then I, two sports will keep you very active. We'll just say that. And you don't really have time to do much else. <laughs> do you have any siblings? I don't, I'm an only child. Okay. And then what did you, what, what did you do in track? What event? Uh, I was actually a high jumper and a pole vaulter. So it's kind of silly to say I ran track. I, I guess personally, I feel weird saying that because that's not entirely true. So I was a field eventer, but you have to run in both of those events. Uh, very short segments of running. All the runners used to make fun of us because we would always complain about our workouts being really hard, but they were nothing compared to what the runners actually had to deal with. We just did a few sprints and then would go do our field events and practice. <laughs> well, from what I understand, especially with high jumping, you have to be very explosive. And so it's, it's kind of training kind of like a sprinter. Absolutely. Yeah. It, there's a lot of just, there's a lot of technique work that's involved not to say that sprinting and even distance running doesn't involve a lot of technique, but it, it really breaks down your technique, um, for both pole ball and high jump. And so what's the, when was the first time you, um, grabbed a, a pole and vaulted? I mean, that's, um, that was, that, that's not easy to do. I've never done that. I've never had any desire to do it. Yeah. So my middle school is funny. They uh, actually had a pole vault team. Um, and so, and I started in middle school, I started in seventh grade and even as a seventh grader, I was decent at it. Um, and my coach saw some potential and he told my parents are like, keep her in this as long as she keeps enjoying it, you know, have her keep doing it. And one thing led to another and I kept going. Do you remember what that was like the first time you did it? I remember it being really exciting. Um, you know, of course, little middle school me was like, oh, I'm going to be like those people that go 12 feet in the air on my first jump. No, that's not entirely true. I 
barely made it off the ground, but um, it, it was pretty cool. And of course, uh, just like any sport, you start very, very basic. So it's not like on day one, they put a pole in your hands and they're like, okay, go. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how long it took just learning technique and stuff, but it, it was fun. I don't know. It just caught my attention. And then, um, high jump came shortly after. So. And what position did you play in volleyball? Uh, so in my college career, I was an outside hitter. I played basically every position leading up until college but I would say when I was at my peak I was definitely an outside hitter how tall are you I'm five nine okay and so I was thinking about with the high jump I mean if you're ex explosive in the high jump I would think you'd probably be a hitter in yes. volleyball yeah yeah there's a lot of uh, translation between the two sports for sure yeah and so did you play with with a club team a travel team in volleyball or is it just with the school no, I, uh, I also traveled for volleyball. I traveled all across the U.S. Um, I started playing club volleyball when I was 12 and I went all the way up through 18. So I started very young. Um, it was it was challenging. I mean, I'll admit it. It was extremely challenging doing school volleyball. Then you go to track and then you play club volleyball and club volleyball happens in the spring, as does track. So there's a lot of overlap there and there was weekends that were conflicting and I had to explain to either coach like, okay, well, one of these things I can't attend and trying to figure that out. It wasn't always um, the easiest situation to be in, but we made it work. So when did you realize that you were going to be able to take this to the next level? Um, when I was, well, I should say. I don't, I fell in love with sports at such a young age. Um, and my parents always encouraged me to keep going as long as you don't hit any barriers essentially. And so even in middle school, I was saying, I want to go, I want to go play volleyball in college. This is what I want to do. Um, I didn't necessarily think that in track because you don't, I don't know, you don't really think about that, I guess. Um, at least for me personally, I didn't think about it until high school, but at a very young age, I knew I wanted to go to the next level. And so my parents were like, okay, well, we'll keep putting you in club volleyball. You keep playing school volleyball. We'll start recording you. We'll start, you know, sending messages out to coaches so they can start taking a look at you. And then, you know, if all the cards align, then we'll do this. So what was that process like? I mean, did you have multiple offers or did you just have a few that you had to choose from? No, I did have multiple offers. Um, I was also, I was incredibly lucky too, because I knew what I wanted to major in going into school. Um, so that was in a lot of ways, very relieving because whenever schools approached me about maybe possibly trying to recruit me, um, but they didn't have the program I was looking for, I was able to wean those up pretty easily. Um, and then once I kind of narrowed it down to my top couple of schools that I really liked, I, you go on recruiting trips and meet the coaches and see who you like the best. And then ultimately what made me settle on Western was they were also recruiting me for track. And I really did want to try to be a dual sport athlete in college as well. So all the cards aligned. I liked both of the coaches. I loved where Western was and they had a great geology program. So it all just kind of fell into place for me. So you're looking for geology, volleyball, and track. So. Basically, yeah. And I mean, if it's surrounded by the mountains, then even better. So, Yeah. So for those that don't know, Western is in Gunnison, Colorado. And that's, a, that's in the middle of Colorado. <laughs> it is. It's directly in the middle of Colorado. It's a tiny town. We don't have a shopping mall. Um, you don't even have a movie theater in Gunnison, Colorado. It's the perfect definition of a small town but if you love the outdoors then you definitely fall in love with it you do have a rodeo and a county fair that is correct we do <laughs> and we actually the school has a rodeo team so <laughs> yeah. i've seen i've been to the arena my cousin um lives lives right outside of uh gunnison and works at a ranch that's near or kind of between crested butte mm -hmm. and so we've been up there to visit them and two summers ago we were there and um, I didn't even realize Western was there, honestly, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um, we were visiting him and we went to the county fair and the, we didn't see any, we saw some of the show animals, but we didn't see the rodeo itself, yeah. but it's a nice, it's a nice town. Um, it's hard to get to, uh, you have to, I mean, you can fly straight into Gunnison, but um, it's, it's right in the middle of all the mountains. How many uh, 14,000 foot peaks are around that, like right there within 50 miles of that area? 
Uh, within 50 miles, I don't even know if one, there are two that stand out in my mind that are really close to that area, but I don't even know if it's even within 50 miles. Um, if you go to the east, which the next kind of closest town to the east is Salida, Colorado, there's a handful of 14ers that um, are outside of there. And the one that I'm thinking of off the top of my head is Shivano. And if you go over towards Lake City, Colorado, which is another hour, and I guess that would be in the southwestern direction, you have Ucampadre Peak, and those are the closest to Gunnison. Okay. Yeah, I don't think those are within 50 miles. No, definitely not. So it, it requires a little bit of driving, but also being in the center of the state, none of the driving was, you know, six hours in one direction or anything. So it was actually kind of nice. Yeah. And so how long were you there? Uh, I was in Gunnison for four years. Okay. And so I mentioned in the introduction that you had an injury um, that did that completely stop you from playing sports at that point in college? Yeah. It, so the problem, so a little bit of background back in high school, I had initially broken my ankle um, and it was a pretty bad break. It was during volleyball. Um, unfortunately, uh, another uh, female and I came under the net at the same time and I landed on top of her and it just completely caused my ankle to snap. Um, and I let it heal, came back and then it was my freshman year and I was actually pole vaulting when it happened. Um, my spikes got caught in the mat and it completely rebroke my ankle. And in the process, they tore my ATFL and my CFL, um, which are two ligaments that are pretty critical. And so I go to the doctor and they're like, okay, you're going to have to get surgery. Okay, that's fine. Let's do this. Um, and I come out of surgery and the doctor's like, it was a lot worse than we expected it to be. We thought it would be a pretty simple ligament repair. It turns out that I basically lost all of my cartilage in my ankle as well. So I had to go through a round of microfracture. Um, so my recovery was a lot longer than anticipated. Um, and I was, I was devastated because I had a really good year, my freshman year of volleyball um, competing. And I was really hitting my stride. I was doing really well. And so I was like, oh gosh, well, as long as I can get better in time for my sophomore year, essentially, that's fine. I'll do everything I can as far as rehab goes. And about two months into rehab, it just wasn't doing what we wanted to do. So the doctor's like, okay, let's go in and let's try another round of microfracture. And we did that and we came out and the doctor essentially was like, this is a career ending injury. I don't think there's anything else that we can do. Mm. Um, ultimately I'm very stubborn. <laughs> so I was like, I don't like that answer and I'm going to keep doing what I can. So I tried to push through my sophomore year, but yeah, it, it was career ending and I had to find alternative uh, ways to stay active, I guess. Um, How long ago was that? So that was my sophomore year. So that would be back in 2014. Okay. And so fast forward to today, how is your ankle doing? Uh, fast forward to today, my ankle is a pain in the butt, but I've learned to live with it and it's fine. <laughs> um, everything I do today is just pain management. Uh, every couple of years I go into a doctor, I get a scan, see what's going on. Um, they do an MRI. They let me know what's going on. It, ultimately, I'm probably going to be looking at getting some sort of a cadaver plug. Um, to help repair some of the cartilage that is essentially gone. But um, every doctor that I've gone to and every specialist I've gone to has essentially told me when that happens, you won't be able to run anymore. You won't be able to jump anymore, especially comfortably. And I'm not ready to give all that up. So I'd rather just manage pain and keep doing what I love to do. So can you, can you still go for a run and, you know, is it too painful to run? Um, it's too painful to run multiple days in a row. We'll put it that way. So am I still a runner? Absolutely. Um, and I try to go out as frequently as I can. I try to avoid pavement as much as I can because pavement definitely it enhances the pain. Um, so I try to do dirt surfaces, which is really easy here in Tucson because it's just sand everywhere anyway. So that's actually not too bad. <laughs> um, but uh, so yes, I, I love to run, but I definitely have had to um, manage my pain and that requires me to back off a little bit on the running. And so um, this, the PT in me is starting to ask some of these questions. 
Um, what are some of the other things that you've done in the last six years for just to treat it and to manage the pain to get it to try to get it better, or at least to the point where you can climb and still go for a run? Well, I hate to say this, but a lot of times it's just pain medication. <laughs> I Advil and Aleve are my best friends. <laughs> um, I do a lot of exercises that are uh, isolating exercises for all the muscles around your foot and ankle that just kind of helps strengthen those to give myself as much support as possible. And whenever I go and play in these sand volleyball tournaments or I go for these long hikes and stuff, I'm always taping up my ankle and I also brace it up. Um, just to give it that extra needed support that it does need. Um, because I, I'm always scared that the next role or the next time I heard it will be my last time that I'll be able to do it. So I do everything I can to just avoid that at all costs. Yeah. So you're still, you found a way to still play volleyball. I mean, playing in the sand allows you to have a softer service, but it's also an even. Absolutely. It is. Um, and that's, it, honestly, that's why I went to sand volleyball is I was like, it's not hardcore volleyball. It doesn't tear up my body. Um, and I absolutely love it. It's in a, in a weird way, it was kind of a blessing. I didn't realize how much I enjoyed sand volleyball until I was forced to retire from indoor. Um, and I have just fallen in love with the sport and it is an uneven surface, but luckily for us, the sand that we play on is so soft. And most of the time it's not wet at all. It's just dry. So that even though it's and I mean even surface, it just gives right under your body weight and you don't have to really worry about it. Yeah. So when when most people say they play sand volleyball, I don't know if they're saying it the same way that you play sand volleyball. <laughs> um, <laughs> is this like a competitive league that you play two on two? Or I mean it's all two on two, right? It's all two on two. It's not a league. Um I, because I like to, because I have so many hobbies, I don't like to be tied down by every single time this day of the week, you have to do something. Um, so basically, um, everywhere that I've moved to, so after Gunnison, I moved to Golden, Colorado, and I did my master's um, in Golden, Colorado. And then I moved out here to Tucson for the first job. And every time I've moved, I've gone onto Facebook, and I found a competitive twos group and you just meet people that way just through random groups and now uh even here in tucson i have a group of people that i just we just text each other and we're like oh, let's meet this time and let's play um so we do that once or twice a week and then there's adult tournaments that are hosted that you just pick a partner and you sign up for and you register and you go and compete and hopefully you win some money at the end if you win so yeah so that's cool you get, at least possibly have a chance of money out of it and are there a lot of courts around tucson it, it, to be completely honest tucson's really difficult when it comes to sand volleyball no we don't have access to very um main very well maintained courts um we do have access to some, but they're not free. You have to pay every time you use them. And then the courts that are free, they're not in the best shape. But the thing is, is the group that I play with and myself included, we just love the sport. So we'll just do it anyway. And we don't mind. Um, and most of the tournaments that we play in, I would say 90 to 95% of the tournaments we play in are up in Phoenix and their facilities up there are incredible. So um, we don't, I, I have access to courts whenever I want. It's just a matter of, do I want to drive an hour and a half to get them or just drive 20 minutes and just kind of settle? So, so at, at this point, you're still, you're running to stay in shape. You're playing sand volleyball. You still ski every season, I'm assuming. If you're Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And so in order to, to maintain like your health and all these hobbies and to prevent injury as much as possible and actually perform well in them are what else are you doing any kind of strength training or um anything like that outside of the actual sport i do i do a lot of strength training um i the gym is what keeps me sane i should say um and so i do i do a ton of strength training uh, well i really like to focus on endurance training um so a lot of my strength training is low weight high intensity high rep um, kind of training because I love to keep my heart rate elevated. Um, and I think that is partially because whenever you're running around in the sand, you need to have really good cardio, but also whenever you're climbing these mountains, um, you absolutely need a lot of cardio as well, but I am a firm believer in maintaining a lifting program for myself. Um, because all those muscles ultimately, as long as they're strong, they help 
keep you physically fit and also prevent injury. So. Yeah. And also it sounds like you do. Um, I mean, if you're doing it to also keep your heart rate up and doing higher reps and lower weight, since you're not running as much as you would like to, or are able to, that's actually a really good thing to help supplement everything that you're doing to keep you safe while you're doing it and as injury free as possible. Um, if you were able to run a lot, then I would say maybe you should add a little bit of weight to those, to, the, to that barbell. <laughs> um, well, and I like to go up a little bit every now and then just to be, you know, just to mix it up a little, you can't get, I don't like to be a creature of habit either, but yeah, I definitely would say I do low weight, high rep, high intensity. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you, I mean, you've said that a couple of times that, um, you don't like things to be regular. So you just, it's almost like you're just free to, okay, someone called, let's go do this or let's do this and change it up a little bit. You're not stuck to this, even though you're kind of, you may be somewhat habitual and like your activities and, and doing them it's never like the same thing every week. Yeah, I, I try to do that. I, and I think that's kind of why I fell in love with climbing all these mountains is because even though you're still climbing a mountain, every mountain is completely different and it poses its own set of challenges and you need a special type of skills to do certain types of mountains and stuff. So um, I think that's kind of what made me fall in love with that. Um, and then the volleyball thing that that's just because I'm competitive by nature and I can't give up competition. So where's your uh, favorite place to go skiing uh i'm crested butte i mean <laughs> I, I know that seems a little obvious because of uh, gunnison i mean crested butte's just right north of gunnison about 30 minutes um but i absolutely love it there i i love skiing um as steep and as hard of runs as they can get and crested butte is about the best inbounds territory as you can get for those types of for that type of skiing i guess so how does how does it feel um how does your ankle feel in snow skis and boots uh, actually that's part of the reason skiing was really the first hobby that i took up after retiring um my collegiate uh volleyball and track career because a ski boot is so stable on your ankle. I mean, it just fits it like a glove and your ankle's not going anywhere in there. Um, and I actually had my ski boot molded to my foot. So, I mean, there's no give whatsoever. Um, and so I'm extremely comfortable skiing. There's, uh, I can't imagine, I would blow my knee out before I would hurt my ankle skiing. So it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not saying I hope that happens. There's no way <laughs> my knees are strong. But... Yeah. That's why you're doing your strength training. That's right. <laughs> so um, I know you climbed your first 14, 14 or when you were eight, you probably didn't realize kind of what was happening or what you were doing when you did that. And you did it on a few family vacations, but what was it? Was it whenever you were attending Western University, whenever you started thinking about, oh, I want to climb these mountains? Yeah, so basically, um, I went to school and it was actually my freshman year. It was after a volleyball uh, tournament, or I, I don't know if it was a tournament or it was a game, but it was a home game. Um, and it was a Saturday night and we finished and I had this group of friends that and we were all like let's just go climb a 14er and i had only climbed two prior to that i had climbed mount sherman which is the one that i did when i was eight on a family vacation and then i had also climbed mount snuffles which my dad and i did when i was a little bit older um and so this it was a group of four of us and we were like let's just do this so it's late saturday night i just got done playing volleyball i didn't even shower <laughs> we just threw our bags in the car and drove straight to the Ucampadre trailhead and we climbed it that Sunday morning and we broke every rule known to mankind. We are supposed to start, you know, before the sun rises so you don't get stuck on top of the mountain when a thunderstorm hits. And we didn't start until 8.30 in the morning because we didn't get in until so late and we're also, we're stupid college kids. So we don't follow rules, right? So, <laughs> um, but we were lucky. We had phenomenal weather and we stayed on top until about two in the afternoon, which is just unheard of in a Colorado summer. Um, and we hiked down and I, I, I don't know, I just fell in love with it. It was like intoxicating. I was like, I think I could do a few more of these. And then sure enough, you just keep going. And, um, Eric, my boyfriend, he was, uh, slowly getting interested in them as well. And he thought I was crazy when I was like, let's do all, uh, at first I was like, let's do all 54, um, peaks in Colorado. He's like, you're crazy. We're not going to do that. And you just keep slowly checking them off. 
Um, you start with the easier ones and then gradually the, you know, there's difficulty depending on the mountain that you're going to do. So you have to get some scrambling experience and you got to get a little bit of climbing experience and you need to learn how to hike a little faster because some of them are a little longer and you don't want to get caught in these storms. But um, yeah, we just kind of kept checking them off. And then I was like, hey, Eric, it'd be really fun to go to California and start doing some of those out there too. <laughs> and it was kind of the same thing. He was like, you're crazy. You're psycho. This isn't going to happen. And then we did a couple of trips out there and then we'd Rainier and we were like, oh, well, we finished these. That's cool. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was just, it, I don't know. It's just kind of like a switch flipped and it, I don't know, maybe it's the competitiveness in me. And then Eric is so supportive. He just follows along behind me to make sure I don't kill myself on a mountain. <laughs> so most of them you've done with Eric or at least with other people, you're not ever by yourself, right? Uh, no, I'm never by myself. In fact, that's kind of the cool thing about the whole thing too, is Eric and I actually did every single one of them together. So uh -huh. it's something that we kind of shared together and he's my main climbing partner and we trust each other um, in everything on the mountain, which is amazing to have a climbing partner that you can feel so strong and compatible with. Yeah, and so um, how do you go about <clears throat> planning it out? I mean, I know there's different levels of uh, difficulty and so you may not have planned it out, but like say you want to go just climb a 14, one of the 14,000 foot peaks in, in Colorado, is, is there a lot of information about out there about what you need and how to do it and how to accomplish that? Absolutely. So I, I'm going to do a quick plug. There's a um, website that's just called 14ers.com and it's a gentleman uh, named Bill Middlebrook that put this together and it has everything you could possibly need about um, hiking any of the Colorado 14ers. And it has everything from route description to the skills that you need, to the approximate time it's gonna take, to the elevation gained and loss. So that was our number one resource um, when we were doing all the Colorado 14ers. And I should also say, I use that as a resource quite a bit for the California 14ers as well, because even though he doesn't have sub pages for those 15 14ers, um, they have a forum and people who have also done those can write their own route descriptions and you can kind of find them that way. Um, so as far as Colorado, the information is very, very accessible and it's very available, which is amazing because we didn't really know what we were doing. Like I said, to begin with, this is all new to us. We were breaking all the rules. Um, so at least being able to download a route description to your phone and have some pictures to keep you on track was really nice. As far as planning for something like California or even Mount Rainier in Washington, which is its own different beast because it's the only one in the lower 48 that requires glacier travel. Um, but there isn't nearly as much information as uh, one would like for the California 14ers. And I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of it, we were just kind of doing blind. You would just go old fashioned map and compass and start at a trailhead and just start hiking up and you're like well this looks like the most defined trail that you can find and then um, once you actually get onto the mountain itself uh, kind of the base of the mountain um, the Sierra Nevadas are incredible they're just sheer rock cliffs and stuff so you're like well that looks like the path of least resistance let's just take that and see what happens and that's just kind of what you do so so what kind of equipment did you have to bring on those kind of climbs in California, California was by far and away the most technical climbing, I will say. Um, and for all those, we were bringing all of our rock climbing gear. So rock shoes, um, we have gear that we put in the rock to protect yourself called cams and nuts um, and hexes. We had all those with us. Our, obviously our rope um, harnesses. Basically, when you're hiking up to base camp in California, you have close to 50 pounds on your back um, because that also includes your sleeping bags, your tents, all of your food, because you're hiking way back in there. Some of these peaks took us three or four days to accomplish. Um, it, it, it was a lot, <laughs> but um, it, it's totally worth it when you stand on top of these mountains, especially the California ones that aren't climbed frequently. You really feel uh, isolated and it's just it's pretty incredible. It's a pretty, like I said, it's an intoxicating feeling. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to blend any of your work with some of these things climbing? I mean, what are you doing for work? Uh, so I'm a geologist um, and I'm actually in mining now, but 
when I did my master's, so I did my master's at Colorado School of Mines and I was doing it in basically in the simplest terms in hard rock geology, um, which ultimately means that it basically every mountain that you climb is probably granite. Nine times out of 10, it's gonna be granite. Um, and so I'm that nerd also that'll talk your ear off about all of the weird deformities that you see in the rocks and all the different minerals that you see. I remember specifically Eric and I were doing this class four climb up in California. So we, we aren't hooked up to ropes, but it's one of those very potentially fatal events if you were to fall type of thing. So you're very focused. And I turned to Eric and I was like, Eric, look at the size of this plagioclase crystal. It's the size of my fist. And he was like, Allie, like, this is not what you should be worried about right now. But so I am, I, I, I am kind of the nerd that talks a lot of geology too. And I'm constantly picking up rocks. Um, one of the weird things that I did is I actually took a rock from the summit of every single 14er. And so I have every single rock from every single 14er just as a collection in my house. Um, so you had a little extra weight going down. Just a little bit, but I mean, you eat the food too. So right. in theory, it just kind of all equals out, right? <laughs> Is it harder to go up or to come down? So for me personally, I actually find it more difficult to go down. Um, I, like I said, it, my ankle is always in the back of my mind. And typically when you come down, you're exhausted and your momentum is carrying you. You have a heavy pack on your back um, and you have a tendency to get careless. So I can't tell you how many times a rock has slipped out from under you going down. Um, and it's for me, especially it's, a, it's an incredibly scary feeling because like I said, I don't know which role is going to be the last role for me. Mm. Um, so I actually hate going down um, and everybody else makes fun of me or they get mad at me essentially if I'm hiking with them because they're like, you just run up the mountain, you make it look so easy. And I was like, well, I mean, cardio comes naturally to me and I don't have to worry about rolling my ankle as much. Yeah. So. Um, but I would say most people would say going down is much easier. Yeah, but it's also like you said, more it can be more tiring because you're slowing yourself down the entire time so it's Absolutely. a different different set of muscles i mean have you ever um i, I know some people that well that one of my recent uh interviewees was she's done the pikes or i don't know if it's the pikes peak pikes peak marathon well maybe it wasn't the pikes peak but it was it was a like net downhill almost all downhill mm -hmm. i can't remember what it was called um but this is in colorado as well uh -huh. But the Pikes Peak, you go up and then down, or you go down or up. What's the options there? Uh, Pikes Peak, you go up and down. Okay. So the marathon, you go up and down, but they also have a half, right? Where you can yes. just yes. go down or yeah. just go up, or is it just go down? Uh, my understanding, I've never actually looked into it, but my understanding was it is you just go up, actually. Okay. Um, but I could be wrong. I wouldn't quote me on that. <laughs> well, this, this other one that I'm talking about is all downhill. And so... Okay. Um, she said it took her a week to recover from that because, which is way longer than any of her 20 something marathons that she's done because, because of the amount of stress on your quads that it puts whenever you're, you're just slow, you're keeping yourself from falling the entire time. I mean, that's, that's all you're doing is not falling. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, to combat that, I used to make fun of people that hiked with trekking poles, I'm like, Oh, that's just for people that are 70 years old or something. But I am the uh, 27 year old out there with trekking poles now because it just saves your joints. I and mean, it's just incredible how much it really relieves some of that pressure, especially on your knees. So yeah, because now you have two more points to, to relieve some of that weight with your arms, especially when you're going down, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's like you're going down on all fours. Yes. Yeah. I, I can see why animals do make it look a lot easier than we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So have you had any close calls on any of your climbs? Um, I, ha I should say I've been incredibly fortunate. Um, Eric and I, we are extremely careful climbers, but I don't want to say that we're overly conservative either. So we've been extremely lucky, but there was one time in California. Um, it was a mountain called Mount Russell. And it's actually the neighboring mountain to Mount Whitney, which is the tallest peak in the lower 48 but um, we're coming down it and it's not too technical. Um, we don't have ropes or anything. We're just kind of climbing down. 
but you are paralleling a very, very sheer drop off, probably six to 700 feet, uh, foot drop off. And Eric is in front of me. And essentially, um, if you can imagine a crack in a rock and then a rock that gets wedged within that crack, it's almost like a natural anchor point. Um, and we actually call that a chalk stone, but essentially that rock was wedged in the crack. Eric puts his foot on it and it holds him just fine. And Eric's quite a bit heavier than me. So I was like, oh, this isn't a big deal. Um, and I put my foot on it and for whatever reason it gave out on me and I fell and started rolling towards that area. And I was able to catch myself by grabbing onto another rock um, that luckily for me did hold my weight. So that was definitely my closest call. Um, I sat there and I had to, I, I was in tears. I had to just sit kind of regather myself, regather my composure, your entire body's shaking with adrenaline at that point, obviously. Um, but other than that, that's been my one and only close, close call. And I will knock on wood to that because that's, that's pretty amazing in my opinion. Um, cause you do, you hear about these horror stories every day in the mountaineering community and I've, I've just been incredibly lucky. So would you ever go back and climb that one again? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I would, um, don't get me wrong. There are a handful of mountains that I'm like, I don't think I really ever want to do that again. But if one of my friends were to call me up and we're like, yeah, let's, let's go do that one. I'd, sure I'll do it why not <laughs> why is it that you would want to do it again I mean you've been to the peak and you've seen it you've seen the top yeah I mean I've done a lot of repeat peaks um most of the time it's whenever friends approach you that don't have as much experience but they're like I really want to do this one for x y or z reasons and will you take me because you know this peak sure why not um so it's really cool because the great thing about a lot of these peaks is there's multiple access points. So you could be doing the peak from a different side or a different trail. So it's almost like you're completely climbing a different mountain, except for the very top. Um, so I try to do that as much as possible if I ever do repeat peaks. And there's also the challenge. There's been peaks that I've done in the summer and in the winter because it's just a completely different set of elements. And it's, diff it's a different set of skills and different um, mental game as Here's a quick note from our sponsor, College Station Physical Therapy and Performance. We help active people in the Brazos Valley recover from injury, return to their active lifestyle, and reach their highest level of performance. Check out our website at collegestationpt.com if you are ready to feel better, move better, and perform better. Now back to the show. Um, so what about, what was one of your most fascinating climbs? I know it's probably hard. There's a lot of, a lot of climbs, but what was like your, your top, top three? Oh gosh. Well, okay. So like I said, every climb poses its own set of challenges. So one of the climbs that I haven't even mentioned was in 2018, when I graduated from grad school, I called Eric up. I was like, Eric, I want to celebrate um, finishing up grad school. Let's go to South America and let's go climb down there. So we actually did a trip to Bolivia and climbed three peaks out there. And the ultimate goal was to climb Illimani, which is a 6,000 meter peak, which I'd never been that tall. It is, it's essentially um, around 21,100 feet. Um, and so I would say that just because of the ultimate achievement of getting up there and doing it all under your own power and stuff. That's probably my favorite. Um, and it, it wasn't that technically challenging other than traversing some glaciers and stuff. Um, as far as like rock climbing, you don't really need that skill or anything. It's just, are you comfortable traveling across glaciers and snow? Um, and then uh, the other one that I, always, always say is um, in California, there's a set of five uh, peaks that comprise the Palisades Traverse. And it's by far and away the most technical uh, climb that I've done. And you summit five 14ers all in one day because you just start at one and you go all the way to the fifth one. Essentially, mm -hmm. you're just climbing up and over these rocks. Um, that one was definitely by far and away the most challenging, the most mentally exhausted I've ever been. Um, 
but it was it was a pretty surreal feeling whenever we were done with it. It's like, man, I actually feel like a true mountaineer after completing that one. So how long did that one take? Uh, so the climb itself, we ended up doing it in about 16 hours, but we had to hike up the day before to base camp, um, which was about an eight and a half mile pack in. And then you set up camp and then we did the entire traverse the next day in about 16 hours, came back down to our base camp and slept again. And then you had to hike all the way out. So we did it over the course of three days. Wow. And yeah. so you just take your vacations and go climb mountains. That's right. I mean, I always say that my other favorite hobby is just traveling because I've gotten to see some amazing places just going to climb mountains. It's kind of, it's an awesome hobby. <laughs> I mean, and I, you're right. All of my vacations are centered around climbing mountains, but every single one that I've gone on has just been incredible. And you see so many different things. So what, where, what other countries have you been to? You said Bolivia. Where else? Yeah, so I've climbed in Bolivia and on that same trip I actually did a little stint in Peru too, but I didn't do any climbing there. I was just playing tourist on that trip. Um, so we climbed three peaks in Bolivia and then I've also climbed in Mexico. I climbed two peaks down there. So um, the big one down there is called Pico de Orizaba and it's around 18,500 feet and it's the third tallest peak in North America is kind of its big thing. And so um, do you have any other aspirations to go anywhere else to climb? Absolutely. I mean, the list, uh, it, it's actually really scary how long the list is. I'm going to be completely honest because, <laughs> and then on top of everything else, the it, it's these countries that people don't necessarily want to travel to. One of the biggest um, goals of mine is to climb Spantic Peak, which is actually in Pakistan. Um, and it's a 7,000 meter peak and it's incredibly difficult to even think about trying to organize the trip just because most forums that you read about it suggest that you hire a guide and those guides never leave your side for safety reasons and stuff. Um, but it's definitely something that I want to do. And I, Eric and I, we just fell in love with South America. So I definitely want to go back down there. Secret, there's a, if I remember right, there's seven 6,000 meter peaks in Bolivia. And we secretly want to try to do all seven of them. Um, and we've only done El Amani so far. Um, so that's definitely on the list. Eric and I really want to do Denali up in Alaska eventually, um, if we can get around to it. And I know the permit process is getting more and more difficult. So um, we'll see, but we're keeping our fingers crossed and essentially the way that we go about it is every couple of years we try to do a big trip so in 2018 it was Bolivia so in 2020 a big trip unfortunately COVID happened um so we didn't get to do that but hopefully once all the pandemic is over and stuff we'll be able to kind of get back on schedule and we'll see where our travels take us next yeah most of those places you mentioned there's not too far to travel. I mean, South America is not that far. Uh, Pakistan would be a little bit further. It would, um, yeah. Um, well, and that's the other thing is Nepal. I mean, it sounds amazing. The, the thing, the possibilities are endless, and it's a matter of just choosing what you want to dedicate your time. And now, paid time off from work, you know, you only get certain a certain amount. Um, Eric always says that we, and my, myself included, but we really want to do a trip to Antarctica eventually, you know, but it's a matter of, you know, is it going to be achievable within a certain amount of time and within a certain budget as well? Because the biggest downfall to this hobby is it's, it's incredibly expensive between all of the gear and the traveling and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't, I mean, most people know about base camp with Mount Everest and all that in Nepal, but there's so many opportunities, so much closer to where we are and I mean, it's not Mount Everest, but it's still, it sounds like every single peak affords you an opportunity to en enjoy and appreciate what that peak has to offer and the surrounding views that it gives you and the accomplishments that it gives you once you get to the top. I think that's what's honestly kind of the most amazing and enlightening thing that has come out of my challenge to do all the 14ers in the lower 48 is I never realized how amazing some of the other states are. Um, the Cascade Range in Washington is absolutely incredible. The Sierra Nevadas in California are absolutely incredible. 
Um, of course, Colorado is spoiling in and of itself. Um, and then I've also gone out to Montana and actually I did that over 4th of July and I attempted to summit Granite Peak out there and it was an unsuccessful attempt. Um, just the conditions weren't right for us, unfortunately. But just to go out to Montana to see the mountains out there, you're right, they're not as tall as Everest, but my gosh, they're amazing. And there's nobody on these peaks, which is even better in my opinion. I don't want to see a ton of people and wait in a conga line to get to the summit. Um, you know, there's something very enriching about being alone or just a handful of other people out there. So, so do you enjoy the climb more or the view at the top? <laughs> um, well, oh gosh, I don't know. Um, I like the climb because it poses a challenge, but whenever you're on top, there's nothing that makes you feel, um, so small in such a good way, I guess. You get to see the vast world around you. Um, as far as the eye can see, especially on these crystal clear blue jays, I mean, you can just see for hundreds of miles, it seems. And it, like I said, there's something really spectacular about that. Um, we always try to spend as much time as we possibly can on top just because mm. it, it's incredibly special. And no, uh, no amount of time, um, could ever, I guess, make you feel used to that, I guess, in my opinion, it is, it's just incredible every single time. Yeah. I mean, you could climb peaks for the rest of your life and still not have climbed all of them. No, absolutely not. And like I said, every single peak is different and from the top is different. And even the same peak might be different on different days, just depending on the season and the weather and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's to see how much a mountain changes in the snow versus whenever it's dry and all the rock is exposed is incredible. So yeah, that even happened here in College Station two weeks ago. It actually <laughs> snowed and accumulated and it looked totally different here. It is. It's incredible how much it changes. So it is, yeah. it's spoiling. It's, it's a very addicting hobby. Yeah, so I have a couple of questions that are kind of similar, um, similar conversation to what we're having now, but they're kind of wrapping up questions. One thing I ask all of the people I interview um, is what hobby or really activity or sport, it can be a hobby, um, would you like to try outside of anything that you've done to this point? Yeah, so oh gosh, you know, it's so many different things now, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but the one thing I still have yet to try is skydiving. So I really want to go skydiving eventually. Um, eventually I'll work my way around to it. It just hasn't, I haven't taken the time to actually be like, okay, this is the place I'm going to go and do it. So I have to figure out where I want to do it first and then do it. But it's definitely probably the biggest priority on my list. So do you just want to do it one time or multiple to where you can do it by yourself? Uh, I'll say that's to be determined because right <laughs> now I'm going to say one time, but I, I obviously have a little bit of an addictive personality, so who knows? I might fall in love with it and be like, okay, here's the new thing. All right. Well, where's the plant then the 2021 planned peak that you're going to climb? Uh, so I really, in 2020, I was supposed to climb Mount Hood out in Oregon. Um, so that got canceled because of COVID. So hopefully fingers crossed 2021, that's going to happen. Um, and there's some peaks out here in Arizona that I still need to do. I need to do Humphreys Peak, which is the tallest in Arizona. Um, so that's definitely on the list as well. And then I definitely want to go back out to California and do some more peaks in the Sierra Nevada range. So, well, outside of Colorado, where would you recommend? Um, so someone like me who wants to go climb one or just, you know, see some good views, not necessarily um, spend the whole time climbing, which, where would, we, where would you recommend going in the United States? Uh, so it's really challenging to say. So if people want to do a 14er, I always point them towards Colorado. And the reason being one, because the information to climb any of these peaks is so easily available and you really do need to be prepared going into these things. Um, it's not for the faint of heart by any means. Um, but, uh, anyone can do it with the right, um, mental state and the right level of preparedness. So I would definitely recommend go to Colorado to do your first, second, third one. Um, if you're really, really feeling daring, there are some, I want to say, I'm going to say quote unquote easier ones in California. And I say quote unquote, because the easiest one there um, is still middle of the road and difficulty when it comes to Colorado peaks. Um, but it, it's a different type of challenge, 
being that the information isn't quite there for you. So it's going to test your orientation and navigation skills a little bit more. And then, like I said, the views on in the Sierra Nevadas, they're just absolutely incredible. So um, that's where I would point it. Even if you don't do a 14 or in California, just go hike in the Sierra Nevadas because they're just amazing. Do you have to buy all the equipment or is there places to rent equipment? Oh, no, you can definitely rent equipment for sure. It's definitely not a sport. And that's what I tell a lot of my friends who have asked me for advice or have asked me to teach them um, how to either rock climb or mountaineer or whatever they decide to do is either go rent equipment or borrow a friend's equipment and make sure you really like the sport first before investing it because you invest a lot of money into it whenever you truly become dedicated. Um, you know, it's, in my opinion, completely worth it, <laughs> but I could see how someone might put throw a lot of money into it thinking that they were going to love it and then maybe just don't love it as much. And that's, that's unfortunate because it is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I had a question on here about work, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. Um, say you didn't have to work anymore, but you, and you just could do anything. You didn't need to work. Um, what would your week look like? My week would look like, oh, what would my week look like? It would look like waking up on a Monday morning and making myself some coffee and some eggs and pulling up my computer and being like, okay, let's, let's brainstorm the next mountain. <laughs> and I would go through a list, this entire list that I have, and I'm just going to put my finger on one of them and I'm going to pick it. And then you start doing the research on that Monday. And then Monday evening, you pack your car up and you either drive to that trailhead or you book that flight and you fly out to that area that you have to go to in order to hike it. And then you spend the rest of the week hiking, uh, two, three, four peaks. And then you come home and you enjoy your weekend and you get to start it all over again. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. And then maybe whenever, uh, you know, the winter comes, like I said, I get cold, so I don't want to hike as much in the winter. I'll go play volleyball. So, <laughs> or you could go snow ski or I could go snow ski. That's exactly right. <laughs> Have you ever done any kind of, um, downhill skiing? Like, or is it more backwoods steep stuff? Uh, I like the backwoods steep stuff there. Uh, so Quandary Peak in Colorado, which is a lot of people's first 14er, um, because it is easily accessible. Um, and it's relatively short. Um, that was actually my first mountain that I actually skied off the top of. So I took my skis all the way to the summit. You strap your skis on and you ski all the way back down to the trailhead. So I've actually dabbled in backcountry skiing as well, but most of the time I stick to inbounds resort skiing, um, basically as steep as it gets for inbounds. Which is Crested Butte. Crested Butte. Yeah. I love Crested Butte when they get enough snow, I should say. I've, uh, definitely, hurt my skis a time or two hitting a rock too so you can fix skis that's okay yeah <laughs> or get a new one <laughs> um what is the best advice you could give someone that's wanting to get into climbing uh i would do it the exact same way that i did so you know remember i came from houston texas and i moved to colorado and i didn't know anything about climbing or hiking even um and I just join groups. I mean, there's so many people out there that love what they do, myself included. And we just want to teach people how to do it and how to have fun and how to do it safely. Um, you know, you can also take classes. Absolutely. Uh, I would never discourage anyone from taking a class. Just make sure it's a certified guide. Um, if you're doing that, that way, you know, you're getting the right information, but if you know someone that you trust and they're very competent and they have years of experience under their belt, you know, that's the way to do it because you have people that you can just borrow gear from. Um, and Facebook is a great way to meet people. That's how I did all. Of, that's basically how I met everyone that I do all my mountaineering with is just through Facebook groups that are dedicated to climbing and stuff. Um, I promise if you post, I'm new here, but I really passionate and, you know, I, I just want to learn someone's going to take you under your wing, under their wing, and you're going to learn very fast. So don't go try it by yourself. Find someone who knows how to do it. No, please don't try it by yourself. <laughs> like, please don't. <laughs> I think that goes for <laughs> how many people do that. Well, that's, that's actually kind of surprising, but I, I, I think that kind of goes for pretty much any hobby, sport, activity. Um, 
I always ask that question, you know, whatever you're interested in, what, how would you help someone that is also interested? And it's, you've got to find somebody that knows, kind of knows what they're doing, but also has a passion for it and just wants to teach you and, and do it with you. And that's going to keep you doing it. So whether it's a difficult sport to learn, like golf or something that's can start as simple as hiking, um, it's, it's community being around other people that are active, that have the same kind of desire to, to do something and accomplish something like that. Absolutely. And passion is so infectious that whenever you're around people that just love what they do, it's going to rub off on you and you're going to slowly turn into love it as well. Um, you know, it's a steep learning curve, but it's so worth it. Um, and like I said, the mountaineering community, the hiking community, the climbing communities, they're all phenomenal. And every, every person I've ever met has just been great. So awesome. Well, that's great advice. Uh, do you have any other crazy stories, anything we left out that you were itching to, for me to ask you about that you didn't get to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think, I don't think I have any like crazy, crazy stories. Like I said, I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate. I haven't had any crazy accidents or anything. Um, there was one time and this is very alleged and it could just be me making up stories in my mind, but I, I would still put money on it that I was stalked by a mountain lion at one time. Um, I was out in Creston, Colorado. And, you know, sometimes they just say you have that sixth sense feeling that something is watching you. And I was just convinced that it was very early in the morning. It was like 4.30 in the morning. So it's dark out and you're walking through the trees. And I tapped Eric on the shoulders like, Eric, something's just not right here. Um, and he's like, oh, you're crazy. You know, you're just trying to scare me. And I was like, no, something's just not right here. I swear. And I, I've never had this experience or this feeling before. And ever since then, I've never had it. Um, but I'm convinced it was a mountain lion because again, on that website, 14ers.com, there's forums where people constantly update peak information. And sure enough, the day after we climbed it, another party who did the same route, which is not a highly traveled route at all, posted, we saw mountain lion footprints on the trail <laughs> and they were fresh. So I was like, I don't know, maybe that was it. I, who knows? <laughs> but something felt off that day. So do you have any kind of training in, in how to defend yourself from something like a mountain lion or a bear? Uh, yeah, if I hate to say it, if a mountain lion wants to attack you, there's no amount of training in the world that's going to save you from that attack. Um, mountain lions are very stealthy and amazing animals and you have, have a lot of respect for them. Luckily, they don't really want to mess with humans. So, um, no, not really. And as far as bears go, I've actually had multiple bear encounters, um, all of them being black bears. Um, so not nearly as aggressive as the grizzly bear is. But, you know, with the black bear, they want nothing to do with you. If you happen to come across them, you just kind of put your hands in the air and you scream and you yell. And they, every single time that I've run into one, they just run off. Um, I think the big scary stories that people hear is like some people will try to throw rocks at them to scare them. And then the rock will fall behind the bear. So the bear gets scared because he hears it behind you. So then they start running at you, trying to get away from the rock, like things like that happen. <laughs> it's not the bear actually charging you. It's just running away from the rock that you threw at it and it landed behind it. So don't do that. If you see a bear, just throw your arms in the air, shout and yell. They're not going to do anything to bother you. So, well, that's great ending advice yeah. <laughs> how to protect yourself from the wildlife on a mountain yeah so yeah i think so um if you're okay with it i mean if anybody wants to connect with you any of the listeners um or if they're in in colorado or in arizona or not in arizona there's no 14ers there but one <laughs> it would be fine if they reach out to you on something like facebook or how absolutely can, you know, yeah I, i'm I'm not the best millennial. I don't have an Instagram, but I do have a Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. Send me a message there. Um, if you're ever in Tucson and we have Mount Lemon right in our backyard and it has phenomenal climbing on it. So if anyone ever wants to learn how to climb and stuff, I've taught many people how to, and I'm more than happy to teach more. So um, that would be great. And honestly, anywhere in this area, if people want to meet up in Colorado and stuff, I will make a trip out there. Any excuse that I get to go outside, I will do it. So yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to assist you in any way that I can. That's awesome. So this has been awesome, Allie. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to tell us about all of your adventures. Um, I think that listeners will really enjoy this 
and I, I appreciate you connecting. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciated it. And it was a it was fun to have a nice conversation about climbing and volleyball and everything else with you. So awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks. For more information about College Station Physical Therapy and Performance, please visit our website at collegestationpt.com or check us out on Facebook at College Station Physical Therapy and Performance or on Instagram at College Station PT. That's it for today. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody, to The Active Texan.